Hello, this is Bixby. Welcome to the Bixby Developers Chat Podcast. Here is your host, Roger Kibbe. Hello, Bixby Developer Chat listeners. Today, I have the honor of talking with Nick Schwab. Nick is very well known as the creator of the Sleep Sound Voice Experiences. It is not only a Bixby Premier developer, but also an Alexa champion and a Google developer expert. I'm not sure anyone else in the world has all three of those titles. Welcome, Nick. Please introduce yourself. Thanks, Roger. Uh, my name is Nick Schwab. I'm the founder of Invoked Apps, creator of the Sleep Sound series on Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, Samsung Bixby, and Fire TV. Actually, the first publisher of Sleep Sounds on Amazon Alexa, which kind of created this whirlwind of Sleep Sounds apps that you see everywhere now. And yeah, small team, just creating voice apps primarily for multiple platforms and have been around since early 2016 and just kicking things off from there. All right. Well, let me rewind you to 2016. And I always ask people, how did they get started in voice? What was the first thing you did the voice device? And then how did you get interested in voice technology and development? Oh, gosh. I've always been interested in voice, especially in the car. When I was looking at buying my first car, my first brand new car, I was you know, shopping around at like Ford dealerships, Chevy dealerships. And I really wanted a car that could have some of that more hands-free technology that back in, in 2011, when I bought my, my first new car, it was still really early days and voice kind of sucked, to be honest, back then. I tried it out in you know Ford and Chevy and it, neither system was really impressive at the time, but it's still, as a software engineer and as somebody who is you know pretty fond of cars, the technology was really interesting to me. And I knew that it was going to progress over the future and be this primary way that we interact with vehicles. And then I could also see it entering the home. So I ended up getting a Chevy Cruze, which didn't have the Ford Sync technology, which I would probably say is one of the best ones out there back in 2011. And, you know, voice interfaces in the car was very limited. You couldn't really, can, you couldn't control the volume with your voice. You couldn't ask the weather with your voice. You could probably ask for directions if you had one of those navigation packages in your car. Um, but it was very limited. Um, you could call people. That's about it. Most cars couldn't even text people at the time. And moving forward, when Amazon announced the first Echo device that was invite only, I actually, you know, I didn't sign up for the device right away, but one of my friends did. And he got the device, he started using it. He said, you know, I, I love playing music from this thing, but I just can't figure out how else I'm going to use it. And here I am in my mind thinking like voice interface is the future, like it's in cars, like it's going to be in homes. It's the real deal. And now it's finally getting the focus that it deserves in order to take it to the next level. So I started looking into the Alexa Skills Kit back in early 2016 and seeing what developers could build for the Echo device. And the APIs were very basic back then. You couldn't do a whole lot. So I ended up building a, an app that allowed you to get the daily deal on a couple of different online merchants, woot.com and math.com. That was super simple, just called their APIs, their RSS feeds, actually, to figure out what deal they were offering on any given day. Super simple skill, published it, and I actually published it before I received my first Echo device. I bought the very first Echo Dot that was released. They had the spinny top. They don't make those anymore, but I think that was a pretty sweet device. And yeah, that skill was actually published, I believe it was about a week before my device showed up in the mail. No kidding. So... Is the daily deal still live or is it uh, gone to the 
graveyard of dead skills. You know, unfortunately, it's in the graveyard of dead skills. The RSS feeds that I was relying on to get that data, one of them went away. So I ended up just, you know, killing the skill and taking it off the market. It's funny because I actually think that kind of thing of, hey, what's bargains, what's deals, that kind of thing is a great idea for voice. So spot on identifying that early. And I'm sure we'll talk more about sleep sounds. But I want to go back. You started talking about cars. And I think it's more than a passion. Did you not work in the car industry? I did. Yeah. I, I spent a little over three years in the car industry building software to allow app developers to build apps for cars. I mean, these apps could be made through different programming languages, but including web-based technologies. That was one of the the main projects that me and my team worked on, building support for JavaScript applications that would run in the cloud and kind of be beamed into cars. You could build apps that range from figuring out what the weather is to maybe a delivery routing experience. Imagine like UPS, for example, needing an app in their delivery trucks to figure out what the best route is for all the packages they need delivered. So a lot of different opportunities there. And that was actually one of the projects that we released. Like literally, we, we prepared it for release and I ended up leaving Ford about two or three days before that was released. So it was like all ready to go, just had to be you know deployed. So it was exciting to see that go out even as I was no longer at the company. Yeah, so uh, voice and cars. I, I think there's so much untapped opportunity there. What is it? Well, yeah. let's just say post-COVID, because we're recording this during COVID times, but what is the number of 1.5 trillion hours people spend in the U.S. in commute time? And I think about that. I used to have a long commute. Now my commute is down <laughs> about 50 feet, <laughs> at least temporarily. But that's so much time. And I think there's such an opportunity to make that more valuable time or more fun time or just more productive and more fun. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a main factor in the car buying experience or even ride sharing experience as we kind of shift to this idea of self-driving cars and maybe even the idea of not even owning a car anymore. Our expectations of what it's like to be inside of a car are going to fundamentally change over the next 10 to 20 years, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you're so right. And in ways that we haven't even imagined, it's been kind of static for so long the way Mm -hmm. you deal with a car and it's a one-on-one interaction. But hey, I want to get back to voice and you are super well-known for sleep sounds. Can you tell the listeners uh, the story of how you created sleep sounds? Yeah. So in early 2016, I actually lost my job. I was working for a startup. They ended up going through some tough times and had to let me go. So I was looking for a new job and I ended up finding one on the other side of the state. I live in Michigan. So I, I moved across the state and moved into a new apartment. And after a couple of months, I had a new neighbor moving above me. And this new neighbor had a tendency to wake up at four in the morning and they would get ready. They would you know, leave for work. And then after they left for work, their dog would bark for an hour nonstop. So at this point, the dog's barking at five o'clock in the morning and it's waking me up and I can't get back to sleep. So I, I had this Echo Dot that I bought and I thought, you know what? people have been buying sleep sound machines for decades, right? Like these dedicated devices that only play a handful or maybe a dozen different sounds. And they've been using that to block out noises and help them sleep. So why not turn this echo device that I have on my bedside uh, into a sleep sound machine? So I ended up building rain sounds, the very first sleep sound skill on Alexa. 
And I used it myself for, you know, a couple of weeks and it worked really well. I was able to actually sleep through those noisy mornings. So I published it to the skill store and it just took off. It was incredible. Like it ended up being like the number one skill within the matter of, I think like three weeks and no, no advertising, no like massive SEO plays. It was just, here is rain sounds and people would search for that apparently. And they would start using it. Got some really good feedback from customers and kind of doubled down on the idea from there. That's awesome. So a early rising upstairs neighbor and a barking dog led to incredible success in voice. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I guess those uh, really early mornings paid off in, in one way or another. Absolutely. I think that's such a powerful lesson you're talking about for entrepreneurs. You had a personal problem and you built something for yourself and then said, hey, I'm going to share it with the world. And then it became successful. But I always say, hey, go look at what do you have personally as challenges? Go build something. At a minimum, you got one very passionate fan. <laughs> exactly. And if it resonates, you can have tens, hundreds, millions of passionate fans there. But start with what will help you and then see if it works for the rest of the world. So Sleep Sounds available on Alexa, Bixby, Google Assistant. And really, Sleep Sounds is an incredibly successful lineup of different voice experiences all around helping you sleep. You were talking about your success. Can you share any stats around sleep sound usage or how much data you use? I know there's some incredible stats that I've heard here. So maybe you can confirm or deny some rumors about some crazy numbers I've heard. <laughs> yeah. So on a daily basis, we see hundreds of thousands of people using the sounds each day. And on a monthly level, that turns into millions. And on a monthly level, we stream over five petabytes of data. Five petabytes? <laughs> five petabytes. Yeah. So think about that compared to the typical computer that has, what, 256 gigabytes, 512 gigabytes, terabyte tops. A petabyte is you know basically a thousand terabytes. So to put that in perspective, it's a lot of data and it's not cheap either. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I don't want to pay your S3 bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fortunately, over time, when you're dealing with this much scale, uh, it's amazing how much a small optimization can really make on uh, the cost of this kind of streaming. Got it. Can, can you give me a little more details about what you're talking about? So obviously, getting a good rate with whatever provider, you, your, whatever service provider you're going through is super important. Once you reach a certain scale of streaming, you can negotiate better rates with different companies. So that plays a big factor, but also different file formats have different, they buffer in different ways on these devices. So all these devices, they stream the content from the internet and they really don't have a large cache to be able to cache the content when it loops. Right. So every time the file needs to loop and you know, replay again, it's downloading that whole file from the internet. So making sure that the file is not being fully downloaded, even if the customer only listens for five minutes, or basically optimizing how the buffering occurs. And certain file formats allow you to basically define the chunk size of these files. So instead of like MP3, for example, you have a file that is, let's say, an hour long, and it is, let's say, 50 megabytes, right? And different buffering mechanisms, the way these operating systems work, is they'll, buff, they'll buffer it in sizes that the system knows it can maintain, but it's not necessarily anticipating how long that customer might listen to that buffered chunk. 
So other file formats that aren't MP3 allow you to define that chunk size yourself. So say you only want one minute chunks instead of having the system automatically figure out that buffering a five minute chunk from an MP3 file is best. And then since we're buffering smaller chunks, the file, the overall file size of the one hour duration is basically still the same, but by making the smaller chunks, you can optimize for people who only listen for a fraction of the hour instead of a full hour. Interesting. So you got to look at both user behavior and in those file formats and then come up with some formula between hand the different OSs that are the mm-hmm. that are underlying these voice assistants and kind of all those equations and come up with some formula that makes sense to minimize the cost and maximize the listener enjoyment, so to speak. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And by, by making you know that one change of the file formats with the right sized chunks of audio, we were able to cut our audio streaming costs down by like twenty or twenty-five percent. That's amazing. Yeah, I think most people in voice have, don't even think about this, but most people in voice aren't delivering five petabytes of information a month. So completely a different ballgame. You'd think that the Spotify's of the world think about this or anyone else with just massive amounts of data going over the internet has to think about optimizing this in the different formats there. Yeah. Now, do you have... Is Sleep Sounds Global is it available in just about every country these different voice assistants are? Yeah, it's available globally. There's still a few regions on different voice platforms that we haven't expanded to yet, but it's something that we're looking into. But for the case of Alexa, it's available in every Alexa-enabled region. Of course, from a metric side, we're seeing more customers in the U.S. because the U.S. has been kind of quicker to adopt these uh, voice assistants than other countries. But we are seeing some good growth across the globe. Great. Yeah, I always say there's so much opportunity globally. It's very easy as a U.S. developer, if you're U.S. focused, but look outside the U.S. and the vast majority of the world's population is out there and they're getting voice assistance and there's huge opportunity. There's a a huge opportunity, especially in other markets. If you look at the list of apps that are published on these platforms in countries outside of the U.S. versus the U.S., it's vastly different. You're talking about having a competition of maybe five developers in your space versus having a competition of hundreds of developers in your space. And so expanding outside of the U.S. early on is a huge advantage for developers who are considering that. And that's something that we put a pretty strong focus in. We want to make sure that our customers can access our content no matter what device they're on and no matter where they're located. That's awesome. And yeah, very salient and good advice is I think we all think of we think of our home country, whatever that may be first. But think outside of that, because you're absolutely right. Not the number of developers. Or just look at, uh, we'll just take the Alexa sales score because there's more skills than any of the other competing platforms. I know there's well over 100,000 in the US, but you go to Europe and you're somewhere at 20,000. You go to some of these countries, three, 4,000. It's, do you want to be one of 100,000 and one of three or 4,000? Your opportunity to yeah. stand out and build a brand is significantly higher in some of these non-US markets, I'd say. So great advice there. So you said you started with rain sounds, but now, well, I'll let you tell me how many different sounds you have, but you've built up a whole catalog of different sounds under the sleep sounds umbrella. Can you tell me what's the creative process or how do you think about adding a new sleep sound? Yeah, you know, so I started with this one sound and I published a couple more very quickly after that. And really the, the first set were rain sounds, thunderstorm sounds, and ocean sounds. And after publishing those first three, I started reading the customer reviews 
and people were asking for different sounds. Uh, they were asking for babbling brook, rain on a tent, like more specific, more nuanced sounds. And I also launched a website that allowed people to actually fill out a form to request a new sound. I started getting actually a few sound requests each day. And granted, sometimes someone would request a sound that I actually already had, which is, is fine. That tells me that I need to do a better job marketing the sounds that I already have. But the fact that these customers were so eager and willing to just kind of share what sounds they want, whether it was in a review or a direct email or a form submission, giving customers those avenues to contact you and tell you what they want in a voice experience really helped guide us in our early days. And it even does so now. We still get sound requests fairly often, even though we have 60 sounds on the market right now. And we have more sounds on the way based on customer feedback that we received over the, you know, the months. And we're always looking to figure out how we can add sounds that are missing or even enhance sounds that we already have in, in ways that would make the customer experience even better. So you listen to your customers to decide what to build next. I think that's such common sense advice and yet people forget about it. A couple of weeks ago, I had Sarah Andrew Wilson of Matchbox on and she was talking about how much time they spend listening to what their customers say. And she had made a great point of customer feedback. If somebody gives you feedback, whether it's positive or whether it's negative, they care. Yep. Right. They want something. They like what you're doing or they want something different or change. And so you got to listen to all that feedback and spend a healthy chunk of time listening to customer feedback, iterating your experiences and building upon them. And it sounds like you've done exactly that. Yeah. I mean, I set aside a chunk of time every morning to look at customer feedback and respond to it personally. I, I think every voice developer, every app developer, period, should be doing that. Listen to your customers, acknowledging any point, pain points they're feeling, and blatantly asking them for feedback. I, I can't tell you how many times I received an email from a customer. You know, maybe they were really upset about something, and it was something that I could help fix the problem, and I would go back and forth with them to fix the problem. But then I would always ask them, like, if there's anything else that we can do, whether it's a new sound or a feature we don't have yet, or maybe a whole new skill idea. If there's something that we don't have that you think we would be in a prime position to build, let us know. We want to hear this feedback, even though the customer might have started out calling us bad names or whatever. Like, you know, literally just humbling yourself when you respond back to these customers saying, you know, like, you're right. I'm sorry you had this bad experience. Let me make it right. And let me listen to you and how we can build even better experiences moving forward. Salient advice for business success there is listen to your customers. But I think in the technology world, we have this kind of disease, especially as technologists, of finish something, get it out, ah, and on to the next challenge. Instead of that's the beginning, not the yeah. end. It, yeah. It's so easy to do that. Oh, it's so easy and so much. It's in a lot of ways, it's more fun to build a new <laughs> yep. than, than refine what was old, but success is often refining what was old. So, hey, Nick, for a long time, voice was a side, well, originally a hobby and then a business for you. But recently, you went full-time with voice with the founding of Sleep Jar. Tell me about what drove you to take the plunge. Yeah, taking the plunge has been, it's, it's something that I thought about for a very long time. Honestly, back when Amazon first announced the developer rewards, I'll, I'll call it a, a, a platform or system. Having some of the most popular skills like that generated a, a fairly significant chunk of money that that literally put me in a position where I could have quit my job. Like I could have quit my job, I could have focused full time on voice, 
but it was a, a thing where I wanted to be able to be in control of my destiny. Like I wanted to make sure that I was offering something to customers that they were choosing to buy. Like they were actually saying, all right, I'm going to give you money because I want this premium feature. And it wasn't just basically a handout from Amazon saying, all right, hey, you built a cool app. Here's some money because it's, it's one of the top apps. Because who knows how long that program would last. So once InSkill purchases were announced, I started adding those into the skills. And over the course of several months after releasing those, we ended up getting quite a few customers paying a monthly fee to unlock higher quality audio and longer loops. So having those recurring subscriptions really helped solidify in my mind that it was time to make the leap. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, subscription revenue is uh, the best revenue because you know another check's coming next month. Right. Keep uh, keep your customers satisfied. I think it's very sustainable. How, just for our listeners, how much, so if I have Sleep Sounds uh, and I want to add, it sounds like better quality audio, longer loops, what are the subscription costs? So what can you share around that? Yeah, so we we offer two different pricing models. One is in the Sleep Sounds app or or soon to be rebranded Sleep Jar. And that is $1.99 a month. And it allows you to get higher quality audio, 10-hour loops instead of one-hour loops, and the ability to mix two sounds together at a time. So you could say, play rain and ocean waves and hear them both simultaneously. Um, So that's $1.99 a month in the US. And then we offer an a la carte model where if you only, let's say, one sound, like rain sounds, for example, You can buy the subscription in just that one app. So you get higher quality audio and rain sounds and longer loops and rain sounds for 99 cents a month. I love that idea of mixing the sound. So you can create your own sleep sound essentially for yourself by mixing the two. That's great. Hey, Nick, I noticed you adventured beyond voice assistance and added a Fire TV app recently. Can you tell me why you did this and how that went? What was the thinking beyond creating a Fire TV app? You know, that's a good question. I've I've been getting that a little bit since releasing the Fire TV app. And a lot of folks look at it and say, you know what? Hey, you can actually launch Alexa skills on Fire TV. So why would you build a dedicated Fire TV app? And the answer is that we've been getting feedback from customers over the years that they want to be able to, to launch these sounds in a quiet way because maybe they're getting to bed later than their partner and they don't want to wake them up by, you know, saying a voice request to their device. So they just want to be able to turn on their TV, click a couple buttons, and have the sound start playing. So that's really what led us to building the Sleep Jar for Fire TV experience. And it's been off to a great start so far. There's pretty strong competition on Fire TV, but a lot of the apps out there were were built in a way that were uh, mobile first versus TV first. So the interface on a TV didn't really make sense. It wasn't that great. So I thought, you know, what a great opportunity for us to build an app that's dedicated for TV experiences where it's laid out in a thoughtful, intuitive way and allows you to launch a sound extremely quickly without waking up your partner. That makes so much sense. And once again, listening to what your customers ask for and then go build based upon that, that feedback. Yeah. That's awesome. Let's take a short break and listen to me start the sleep sounds capsule. Hi, Bixby. Ask sleep sounds to play rain sounds. Hey, so speaking about listening to what your customers want, I'd like to switch gears a little bit and talk about the business of voice. So Nick, by any measure, 
you're one of the most successful voice developers out there. So we've already talked about how you release sleep sounds and then you built up an audience and, and now offer subscriptions there. But tell me about a marketing and advertising side. What have you done? Well, start early. What have you done? What works? What doesn't work? What have you learned around marketing and advertising? Oh, that's a really tough question. (laughs) (laughs) Marketing and advertising voice apps is something that developers are, are really struggling to figure out, to be completely transparent. And even us at Invoked Apps, like, it, it's not something that we have a silver bullet for. You know, we you, you haven't figured out discovery. Everyone thought you <laughs> fully figured it out. <laughs> I mean, yeah. When it comes to discovery, making sure that your voice app is named properly, that you're kind of cashing in on that natural SEO of whatever you named your app. That's super important. But but at the end of the day, these million, even billion or trillion dollar companies, they're they're built on this concept of being able to effectively market their brand to inform prospective customers that they exist and that they have the option to use their service or product. So we've taken some experimental steps in in trying to do that, whether it's display ads, whether it's social ads, whether it's audio ads, we're kind of dabbling in all of that and trying to figure out what works. I can't give anything away, but there are some mechanisms that work better than others for sure. But it's not to the scale that I think we need for success yet. And I, I think that platforms like Amazon Alexa, Samsung Bixby, Google Assistant, all these companies really need to start thinking about how can we enable voice developers to target the right audiences and spend money purchasing ads to reach those audiences. Right now, it's you, you can't really set up a Twitter or Facebook ad for people who own a digital assistant device. You can't create that segment on these platforms. And it also goes for other ad platforms outside of social. So the company's best position to offer these advertising tools are the ones who are making digital assistants themselves. And I think, I hope that over the next year, maybe two, we'll start to see these huge companies behind these voice platforms releasing marketing and advertising tools for developers to use and leverage to be able to target customers in a, in a more natural way. That makes so much sense. Yeah, you want to target the users uh, of a particular device or even know. Do you have a voice assistant or not? Or do you have a Fire TV or not? Exactly. In your case. And I think of the web and I think of those advertising platforms that you can do. And there's incredible micro-targeting that you can do, right? Around, there's so much information there. But if you don't even know that they have the platform that your experience was built for, then you're kind of barking up a difficult tree, so to speak. But really good point about the the Amazons and the Samsungs and the Googles of the world building tools to make it better and easier for voice developers to really market their experiences. In a sense, and I say this working for one of those three, but you kind of move beyond the hobbyist developer to say, hey, we're still going to support hobbyist developers, but we're going to support this as a business and allow people to really make money building voice experiences and make it a sustainable thing because you're one of the very few people in the world who frankly has been able to to pull that off and uh, you will continue with your success, but I'd love to see a lot more people be able to make voice uh, a business. And uh, because that's when you get some really incredible experiences is when it's, wow, I can make some money here. Boom. I'll try it. 
and I'll really be motivated to build some things. I think that's been a little, to my mind, a little bit missing from voice compared to say mobile took off when people figure out people would pay 99 cents an app or later on get some advertising and then millions and millions, billions of dollars actually were made off that idea. So we need to figure that out for voice for sure. Hey, so Nick, you're so successful. And I know I have listeners who are just starting to think about building a voice experience. And one of the things I always like to ask is, what advice would you have for people just entering building or designing for voice experiences right now? Yeah. So I I think my advice is twofold. One, build something that you're passionate about that solves either a problem for you or just something that excites you. For me, it was helping me get a better night's sleep. And before I built Sleep Sounds, I built other things that sparked curiosity in me or just solved the problem that I was experiencing. So being passionate about the thing that you're building is going to force you to kind of build something that is intuitive, that's easy to use, that tackles the problem in a thoughtful way. And if you're building something that maybe isn't something you're super passionate about, but it is solving a problem that other people have, then making sure that you're getting feedback early on from those potential customers making sure that you're maybe doing uh, test sessions with them, seeing how they interact with your voice app, making sure that your interaction model is defined in a way that's going to capture the way most customers will speak to your app. It's super important. I've seen so many voice apps get published and maybe the developer didn't spend that much time thinking about the the interaction model. And you'll start to see those apps get one-star reviews and they'll tank. So don't let your voice app become that. Make sure you start it off right and put the customer first. Yes, such great advice. I've seen a lot of voice apps where I'm like, wow, there's some incredible technology behind this. And yet the user experience isn't good. And so this developer built, wow, really amazing, cool stuff. But then they're like, oh, I got to make it work. I got to make the, the user experience work. And that was kind of the afterthought, particularly in voice. To my mind, it's you start with that. And then build the technology after that. But think about how users want to interact with this. And uh, great advice. You always need find out your number one fan. And if your number one fan is yourself, awesome. And if it isn't, find out who's your number one fan and your biggest fans and go test your experience with them because they'll give the best advice, right? Is the people who are most excited to use something are both your biggest fans and your best critics often because they really want it to work. That's spot on. So what about for people who are more experienced, uh, who built uh, several voice experiences, and maybe they're just having, you touched on this a little bit just now, about think about user experience, but advice for people who are just having trouble getting traction. They built maybe several voice experiences across different platforms, and nothing seems to be getting a lot of users. Any thoughts or advice for them? That's a tough one. I've been in that position too, where you release a voice app, it might not get a ton of users. And sometimes that's okay. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes you're really trying to build a business off of it. I think if you're in that position, making sure that your friends and your family have all tried the app, giving you the feedback, have left ratings on it, have shared it with their you know, network. like That's like the very first step in my mind. And then from there, don't be afraid to invest a little bit of your own money into your app. If, you know, if you're trying to grow it beyond where you are now. The old saying, it, it, it takes money to make money, right? 
for me, it was putting like tons of money and time and infrastructure into making sure I can stream tons and tons of audio. But for others, a lot of voice apps don't really cost a whole lot to maintain or operate. And so instead of spending that money on infrastructure, put a little bit toward marketing. See if you can find a good niche that will attract customers in a way that, that fits you. Spot on. Yeah. So spend time on the marketing side because I think that's the other thing you see is I'm sure you and I have both seen really awesome voice experiences that no one uses. Yeah. I tried a few and I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And it's got two ratings, right? Like clearly yep. no one's using it or the use is really light. And I think often developers are not very good marketers. And that's a good thing to know about yourself <laughs> if you're not, is go find your friend or your neighbor or a family member who knows how to do that stuff and go get them help. And the other thing about marketing, and you touch on there, it's about trying 10 different things and maybe two work. Yeah. And the two work for a while and then they stop working and then you got to try 10 more different things or retry some things. It's a constant iteration. And I'd say what most, a lot of marketing doesn't work, but it's the marketing that does work that pays for all the marketing that didn't work. You got to try. That's so true. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Hey, Nick, want to switch gears a little bit and uh, we're in a Bixby podcast. So I want to talk about Bixby. You were an early adopter of the Bixby platform. Can you tell me how that's gone? Yeah. So, you know, developing for Bixby, I, I got to say, it's so much different than the other voice platforms, both in a really good way and in kind of an annoying way, to be honest. You focus much more time on modeling than you do your backend code in Bixby. But at the same time, that, that allows you to take a huge chunk of logic outside of your code and put it in the model and kind of not worry about the technical things behind the scenes. And I think that one of the best things about the Bixby developer platform is just like how hands-on Samsung is with their developers. Like it's so easy to get one-on-one help with the Bixby team when you need it. They make themselves available. They help you on like Stack Overflow, places like that. It's that white glove service that really no other platform can provide. Well, that is awesome to hear. And I will take that as a personal compliment and also a compliment for the rest of the team that I work with, because that is really something we've tried to differentiate ourselves on, is offering that kind of white glove service and really working with developers and making it as easy as it is to transfer into a platform that you're absolutely spot on. And I ran into this first. I built Alexa skills and I came from the web development world and then built Alexa skills with the first voice stuff I built. And I had a mindset of how the heck that worked. And I looked at Bixby and I'm like, whoa, this is just crazy. There's no code here. And there's all these files that are all these models. What's going on? Yeah. Right. And now it's become pretty second nature, obviously, because I work with it all the time. But I think it is, it's a different view of how things should work software-wise. And uh, it requires a little bit of a kind of mind shift or brain plate shift to start working with that. I would argue once you get it, it works pretty darn well, but there is definitely an adjustment there. Yeah, there's a uh, learning curve for sure. And I think one of the big things too is Bixby is is very more uh, multimodal focused than other platforms. Mm-hmm. Bixby is available on all these devices that have screens. We're talking phones, we're talking refrigerators, smartwatches, TVs, like all of these devices that people are gonna interact with Bixby on have screens. 
So as a Bixby developer, you're building experiences for screens. You're not building them for voice only. Whereas platforms like Alexa and Google Assistant, they're very much voice first. Very true. I don't know what the latest breakdown used to be about. Uh, I think it's gotten up to about 15% penetration of multimodal devices with the Alexa. And Google is a little bit different because of all the phones, but there. Yeah. Whereas Bixby right now is essentially 100%. So you're building something different in that sense because it is multimodal. You mentioned all those devices, the TVs, the watches, smart appliances. You can build for watches and and just launch kind of a bit of a more of a beta for smart appliances. TVs are coming later this year. So all those new devices what of those new devices gets you excited about building uh, voice experiences? Uh, for me, it's the TV, like hands down. I, I'm coming at this from a perspective of if you don't have a smart speaker in your bedroom listening to sleep sounds on, then there's a pretty good chance that you have a TV in your bedroom. So it's just the idea of reaching customers in the environment that you expect them to be in while they're using your app and on whatever device or platform that they have available to them. Makes sense. And uh, I don't know what the TV penetration is, but it's got to be close to 100% or very high. And so I always think of TV bringing maybe the middle to late adopters of voice into the voice world, because maybe they're not going to go out and buy a smart speaker, or maybe they don't even know how to use their phone capabilities. But hey, they buy the TV because they like the TV. And they're like, oh, this is cool. I can talk to it. And then they start using voice and getting used to it and start using things like sleep sounds on their TV. And yet they would have never bought a smart speaker. They're middle to late adopters. Because to my mind, we're still in the kind of that early adopter phase of voice. And so how we get to the next level, I think might be a little biased considering who I work for, but it's going to be driven by these new devices that voice is a feature of the device, but it's not the primary reason why you buy the device. Yeah. So I, I completely uh, agree with that. And it's, I was one, you were saying that I'm just thinking like TVs, the gateway drug, like it's such a great way to get customers to experience voice for the first time and have it, you know, feel more natural to them. Right. Cause they're used to having these visual experiences, whether it's on a phone or whether it's on a TV and making that transition to voice using a platform that, is comfortable in what you're used to versus just being kind of thrown into this experience of using a dedicated speaker with no display. It's so different. And I think that TVs are really going to get people in, especially in the older ages, probably to start using voice more predominantly. Yeah. And then it becomes this kind of natural modality. I have teenage daughters and I say they're the touch generation. They grew up with touch. But the younger generation then is growing up, they're going to be the voice generation. There's all the, the funny videos of the kids walking up to the TV and trying to swipe on it. <laughs> I haven't yep. seen the video yet, but I think it's coming of where the kid walks up to something, starts talking to it and expects it to talk back. And that's oh, the absolutely. is there. And so and I'm excited about that because when you get those users who just expect it, then you start really thinking about, I never thought that I could build a voice interface around that. And a voice interface is better than the current interface there or augments it. There's so, so much opportunity there. So speaking about opportunity and what's happened in the industry, uh, Nick, what about in the next so it's short time frame, uh, year or so, where would you like to see voice go? 
over the next year? Or where do you see it going? You ask really hard questions. I like to listen to questions like this. So uh, go ahead, take your time. Oh, my goodness. I, one of the things that I struggle with as a developer right now is this idea of building voice models and just throwing them at a black box. You don't really know if the sample utterances you provided built a wholesome voice model to be able to capture everything that most customers would say. And sure, you can build test cases and you can test whether those utterances work based on the voice model that you've defined. But when we do that and we expect every developer to do that, we're really just reinventing the wheel over and over again. So I would love to see these voice platforms take a step away from the idea that those voice models are proprietary data and step toward the idea that we need to create machine learning and voice modeling that simply makes natural language processing the best it can possibly be. And once we achieve that, developers who are building apps on these platforms can stop worrying about their voice models and start worrying about their actual product. As a developer, how do I know that the 50 utterances I provided for a specific intent are too little or too much for the voice model? Is it gonna capture things that it shouldn't and it's just an overload of information? Or do I need to provide more utterances because it's not capturing enough? And right now, there's no real way for me to know that. That's interesting, Nick. When we had our pre-podcast talk, we talked a long time about this. And around, as a developer, you have to put, you're right, 50 example utterances. Why do I have to do that when I really want the AI to tell me, hey, here's a bunch of utterances you should take care of, or just take care of that for me. I mean, these voice mm -hmm. assistants get millions and millions of, of utterances a day. People asking them to do something. Take that, use that AI, and then bring that back to the developer and say, you say, hey, I want people want to ask for a sleep sound. And then the AI would say, okay, Nick, I think there's 80 different ways to ask for that. And then you could say, yep, most of these make sense, or that doesn't make sense, or modify that. Instead of right now, it's kind of, it's really asking you to create those 80 different ways. Exactly. Right? Which yep. to mine, my mind is really simplistic development model. It's a reflection of where the industry is and how we're on that first or second inning of a nine inning game or a double header as far as the tech goes. It, yep. it's, it's pretty crude, actually, when you get right into it. Yeah, I certainly would love to see that happen. And I think people are definitely thinking along those lines. All right. So you said that was a hard question. I throw you another one out of at you. <laughs> yeah. How about we go out to five or 10 years? What does uh, Nick Schwab's crystal ball say about what's going to happen on voice over that longer time frame? Gosh. <laughs> All right. I'll tell you what I want to happen. Perfect. Uh, I don't know if five, 10 years is feasible, but I'll tell you where I want voice to end up. My dream. You're Nick Schwab. I'm putting at least even money on this. <laughs> um, I mean, have you, you've probably seen movies like Her, right? Where there's uh -huh. this digital assistant that this, this person talks to. It can hold really long conversations, thoughtful conversations with, or maybe even watching like Iron Man, Tony Stark talking to Jarvis. But the, these voice assistants that are capable of maybe not so much having a very personal conversation with you, but are capable of interpreting pretty much any request that you throw at it with 
additional context that might be directly given through your voice command. Maybe it's just where you are. Maybe it's where you're going or where you're going to be uh, based on your calendar. Just things like that. And having these voice assistants being so contextually aware that the utterances really don't matter that much. Getting it a little closer to, I sometimes call that, put it the capital A in assistant. Make it more like a human assistant who you could ask something really generic and it's, okay, I understand I'm thinking of traveling to New York and I understand all the parameters and what that means and what you like to do or that, or almost what's cool is anticipate your needs. Yeah. Right? You know, that, yeah. Like, yeah. Folks like, folks like Amazon are thinking about this with Alexa conversations. Bixby is taking a step in that direction with the natural language categories. There's stepping stones that companies are taking to kind of achieve this less dependence on voice context, I'll, I'll say, and more dependence on just uh, historical conversation context or context about where you are, what's on your calendar, et cetera. But obviously reaching this point where you can just say, do you get me a ride? And you don't need to say where you are. You don't need to say where you're going because it can determine those things behind the scenes. Absolutely. Yeah. I always say we're in the bark command stage because you have to bark these really explicit commands to our voice assistants. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a huge unlock where you give it something more generic. I need a ride. Or I need to get to work. Maybe it tells you the options to do it, right? Or it orders the lift for you. I think that's incredibly cool. And more along the lines of the way we talk as humans, there's all this context of what I just said 10 minutes ago. And if I ask you about it, you'd be able to recall it and continue that conversation. And that's what voice assistants are no good at today. And I think that's going to be an awesome, awesome unlock when they get those capabilities. So, hey, Nick. So another one of my favorite questions is you have built some incredible voice experiences. But what are a couple of voice experiences that you didn't build that you really like and use? Oh, gosh. I'm going to give you a few. I, I love Perfect. the stuff that EarPlay has done. I don't know if you've, you've experienced any of their uh, interactive story games. They're um, awesome. But Go they ahead. are yeah. so well done. Like the fact that they've taken the time to script out like very detailed things. They, they hire professional voice actors. They have amazing sound effects. Um, just the quality of their interactive experiences is so high that I think it really sets the bar for anybody building that kind of experience. So that's kind of like the interactive story idea. And then I also think that Song Quiz, it's a super popular game mm-hmm. on Alexa. Mm-hmm. It's really well done. The gameplay is super fun. I'm actually terrible at it, by the way. But the idea of, you know, just like hearing a short snippet of a song and then naming the artist and the song title, it's just so fun. And it's such a great uh, voice experience. It is, it's just, it makes so much sense. And it, I'm glad to see that app has had the success that it's had. And also things like Big Sky, Stephen Arkonovich, he's built that for Alexa. I think he has it on Bixby as well. He, <laughs> This guy is a philosophy professor ethics professor and he's building these voice apps on the side and not only is he building voices on the side but he's really going up against like native functionality in some of these platforms right and he's going up against the weather channel these huge companies and he's doing a remarkably good job at it because he's giving customers a little bit of extra detail that they can't really get through other means and he's doing it in a way where he's put a lot of thought into the voice experience, more so than I think these major companies like the Weather Channel do. 
So spot on. Stephen was a guest a few episodes ago, and we talked about, I was like, well, you must be a weather geek. And he's like, no, I'm not. I just didn't like the way the built-in weather experience worked. It was kind of clumsy. And so I could build a better mousetrap. And so Stephen built it for himself, much like you did with Sleep Sounds. And Nan has found a lot of success doing that. And uh, yeah, some great examples. I love your examples of uh, song quiz. (laughs) I lose to my teenage daughters when I play that. I can cheat by choosing the decade that I know. Right, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, hey, Nick, if people want to keep in touch with yourself or Sleep Jar, what's the best way to do so? Yeah, uh, you can figure out or learn more about Sleep Jar at sleepjar.com. Uh, has links to uh, pretty much all the apps that we have out there. Uh, and if you want to contact me directly, nick at invokedapps.com. Happy to have a talk with you. I'll definitely put all that information in the show notes. Hey, Nick, it's really been a pleasure. Over the years, you and I have gotten to know each other and we always have these fascinating conversations. And I was like, I got to have Nick on the show and share some of our conversations. And this has been a great opportunity to do so. Thank you so much for being a guest in the podcast. More than happy to. Thanks for the opportunity, Roger. Well, thanks, Nick. That's all, folks. Till next time, this is Roger Kibbe of the Bixby Developers Chat signing off. 